and welcome to Coco Pods, a podcast of the Broad Center for Natural Deliveries Foundation. My name is Dr. Bola Sogade. I'm the host of this show. Today, we're very fortunate to have with us Dr. Mary Joy Weathersby, MD, F-A-C-O-G. So Dr. Mary Joy, thank you so much for that response. So, you know, if when a woman is going for a cesarean section, you know, whether she's coming from home for an elective procedure or she's having it from maybe a vaginal delivery that did not happen and now she has to be taken to the back, to the operating room for a C-section, what should she expect? What is the procedure, you know, from the patient's point of view? I know we as obstetricians, we're there, we're ready to perform surgery, but from the patient's point of view, what are some of the things she and her family could expect? Great question. Well, um, typically they've already scheduled it and spoken with their doctor and know why they're having a section and, and have their date. Um, set up. So typically, a lot of times you do C-sections in the morning times, but they can be afternoon. Also, there's different time. And what we want to do is the night before, after midnight, no eating or drinking, or at least eight hours if it's in the evening time, your C-section. I mean, in afternoonish, at least eight hours of no food. That means eating or drinking. Now, when patients have diabetes or certain other medical conditions, they're going to talk with their doctor about how to decrease. And typically, it's half dose, or depending upon their diabetes needs, um, they're going to decrease their their amount because they're not actually taking food, um, oral food. Um, they're going to take, get it by IV. So when they come to the um, hospital. <clears throat> they're typically expected to come about two hours before their actual C-section time. And the reason for this is there's many things to do before then. So when they come, they're not going to necessarily meet their doctor right away. They're actually going to meet the nurses. And the nurses there are going to get them set up. They're going to get them registered, ask a lot of questions. And a lot of these questions, again, is things that the patient already knows, things that's already on the chart, but it's verification. Why are you here? I'm here to have a repeat C-section. I'm here to have a primary C-section. Oh, you know, what the reason is. If you're having a tubal uh, sterilization, meaning I'm removing my tubes, I want no more future children, they're going to ask you that. They're going to, um, and a lot of this is verification. They're going to have you sign consent forms, things that you've already likely spoken with your doctor about that, yes, this is why we're here. So we're going to do, we still want to do this. So now you sign the hospital consent forms. Um, they're going to also start, um, by getting you in the hospital gown. Uh, so yes, you do come in in your normal clothes, whatever you like to wear, but then you're gonna change. <laughs> so then you change in the hospital outfit and you do have typically one person um, comes with you and that one person can keep their clothes on, but they're gonna have kind of um, a, a little gear, hospital gear also. Um, um, uh, a gown that they're gonna wear that, that's disposable that they can take off. But uh, they'll wear that when they get closer towards the OR. Uh, the patient will then have an IV set up by the nurses um, to start with IV access and IV fluids will go in. And depending upon the patient's needs, sometimes we'll put a little sugar in that IV fluid if we need. And sometimes we'll alternate it if they're diabetic, sugar, no sugar, depending upon their finger sticks. And they'll also have that. And, and other needs that, uh, depend upon the patient's medical condition. Um, the patient, uh, 
typically will have um, the belly area, uh, the around, it's not really the belly, the lower belly or the up, the, around the hairline, around that area. We, that's typically where we're making our incision. So we kind of need that area clear. So some patients the night before, they may clear it themselves, do a little, you know, a razor, but it's not necessary because the hospital, we do that also. The nurses will do that prior. So we will kind of clear the area where we're going to work. The nurses will shave that area and uh, do a little um, of a cleanse. We can do this either the patient does it, um, if the patient has given it um, the day before or the day of, can do a Hibbicans wash, or in the hospital, we can do a Hibbicans wash of the patient's area just to clear the area. Um, it, it's it's a antiseptic. So what it is is decreasing uh, chances of infection. We're, that's what we're all trying to do across the nation, across the, um, the board. And uh, uh, patients have all their questions answered. Usually a little bit before their C-section, they'll um, meet their doctors in either the kind of holding room or um, oftentimes definitely when you go to the OR. Um, so typically when you have your, your mask and your hat and the gown and all that, <coughs> IV, they do labs, labs are drawn. We typically have labs on you always, um, prior, but we like the labs on the day of, because then we kind of want to know what's going on then. Are your blood counts low for any reason? We want to know ahead of time. Your platelet black. Um, platelets, um, are they low for any reason? Uh, they're pretty normal. And we want to know this for anesthesia. Um, anesthesia, that's very important for them when they're given it a spinal or an epidural. They do want to know that. And if there's a reason for a general, typically under general, uh, it's a little bit of a different condition where we don't actually have anybody there because it's very fast paced. Remember, with general anesthesia, that means mother goes to sleep. But when mother goes to sleep, babies also go to sleep. And so this is the condition where we typically will get baby out in under 60 seconds because we don't want baby to go to sleep too much. The baby's big job is to take in that air when the baby is born. And so we want the baby wide awake to take in that that air um, to, to do that. So um, most of the, the C-sections that we do um, will be <coughs> with spinal or with epidural. But there are reasons to do general. Um, and once all of those are kind of squared away and done, patient will come to the OR. So for pain management um, during a C-section with anesthesia, most of the time it's going to be a spinal or, or an epidural. And anesthesia is going to want um, patients, and you're going to have anesthesia give you a lot of instructions, and you're going to have um, the nurses there also supporting and they're going to want, um, as the patient, to be in a C-shaped position to kind of curve their spine to make a C. So if you're kind of used to the letter C, um, you're making that kind of C shape. And that's also so that anesthesia, mostly so that anesthesia can feel the vertebrae, the tips. There are certain landmarks that they're going and they're looking for certain landmarks to, to place that um, epidural or, or spinal catheter. Um, through. And so they know how to do that. They've been trained to do this, but um, it helps them to get those landmarks with that certain type of position. You'll hear that. And there are a few tricks to kind of help get that position. A pillow will be placed on your abdomen and you kind of curve and your uh, nurse will also kind of help curve your back. But mo most of it will be a lot of instructions. Um, once that's finished, you kind of feel weird. They'll test. They'll kind of see, can you feel this? Can you feel that? They'll do a cold test um, with alcohol. So I'll can you feel this? 
a lot of testing before any knife, before anything at all is done, even before your surgeon comes in, a lot of testing prior. Um, if, if it's not ready, then they're not going to call your surgeon. They're not going to call your OBGYN to come in. Listen, anesthesia does feel good that they feel like, yes, you've, you've got a good spinal, you've got a good epidural, we're ready to go. We'll have you go ahead then, lay on the table. Um, what they're going to do is place a Foley catheter. A lot of times you place the Foley catheter after the epidural or spinal, only because that's just nice, being nice to the patient. You don't have to feel that um, being placed there. Um, but yes, you do need a Foley catheter placed because you're not able to get up and move and go to the bathroom for yourself. So we do need to um, have that. Um, and it will be removed after you're able to get up and move about typically uh, by 24 hours. Um, it will and that is also to de decompress the bladder because it's so close to the uterus, right? Yes, that totally. Absolutely true. Um, that helps us um, OBGYNs uh, to do the surgery with less risk when we decompress that bladder, meaning getting that bladder away from your uterus because everything is so close to each other when you're there um, during the surgery. Um, we'll also place, um, uh, the nurses will place compression stockings um, and um, devices on your feet. And these kind of, I say it's like a massage, it's nice. But what it does is it, um, it, it's a pneumo, pneumo compression meaning air and it just kind of squeeze in and squeeze out your legs and the big reason for that is the risk factors being pregnant by itself increases your risk for blood clots now having surgery also increases your risk for blood clots so now you're doing both you're having two things going on and then being immobile granted most c-sections are short period of time but still you're not really moving for that short period of time that increases your risk for blood clot so we want to decrease your risk by having this pneumocompression this compression and that does that and and that's the reason why you have it and that's the reason why you keep it on until you start ambulating and usually that's at least 20 day one day two um uh before you begin to have it removed um so now um, your anesthesia has tested and you are ready and you have your um, uh, device on. And, and now um, typically your surgeon will come in um, into the room if, if your surgeon has not already. And um, anesthesia will say it's a good block. You know, we're ready to go. And uh, the nurse and staff then will prep you, prep you with betadine or hemoclins, depending upon patient's allergy. Um, and we do a vaginal prep. We do an abdominal prep. We're not working necessarily in the vagina, but we still want to cleanse the area to decrease risk of infection. Um, prior to you coming into the OR before the start of incision, we typically give antibiotics. So this is also anesthesia is going to administer it. Um, and that's part of the reason why you're also having the IV when, it, when, you, when the patient was in the holding area area um, to already start getting antibiotics going. Um, uh, anesthesia will typically give antibiotics based on uh, their surgeon's um, uh, uh, orders. So your, your doctor, your OBGYN will order based on your allergies and based on your size. So we'll give a little bit more when the person's uh, size is a little bit bigger, um, but we definitely will give um, appropriate antibiotics most of the time, it's something like um, um, Anself, um, or it could be a clindamycin, and then we'll add, uh, sometimes we may add a metronidazole, uh, sometimes you may add azithromycin if there's a rupture um, that we're concerned, uh, so we may add a dose of that included. There's different antibiotics, and there's different reasons why we give them, but depending upon the circumstance, we will definitely, itch, um, we'll, be, we'll have antibiotics um, given prior to the actual start of the surgery.
So now uh, your patient's family member is still waiting um, in the outside of the OR, near the OR though, um, because we bring family members and everybody else who is not necessarily part of the medical team, we bring them in after we're what we call draped. So what you hear in the holding area, they've already asked you those questions. What are you here for? You having a repeat C-section or having a section and you want your tube side? Yes, I want my tube side. I've already answered that. I've already had those forms filled out. So do we ask it again? Believe it or not, yes, we do. So now we're in the OR and we put all the blue towels or green towels. We put the drapes on you and, and we and you drape from your uh, kind of your shoulder around your shoulder area above. Um, yeah. And so now there's a the concept of the clear drapes. You know, this is new to uh-huh. me. Uh, it's supposed to be family friendly so that uh, your family members on the non-sterile non-sterile side of you in the operating room can actually observe the baby coming out of your tummy. So over the years, we've always used green drapes or blue drapes, but now they have the transparent sterile drapes so that your family members can see the baby actually being born. So uh, that is that is awesome. At my hospital, we have not yet had that. I'm sure we're going to go to that. But at the moment, what we what we try to do is ask family member, do you really want to see this? And some do. And those who do will say, OK, stand up. And what they're doing is they're standing right by where anesthesia is. And anesthesia is right at the patient's head. And when they stand up, they can actually will lift the baby out of the uterus and at the family member can see. And that's how we're doing it at the moment. But I would love for us to go towards that clear drape. And that is something that perhaps I can take back to my hospital, say, hey guys, maybe we can invest in this. Um, And uh, the patient, uh, once we drape, the family members then can come in. And once we drape also, we ask the question again, um, this is, then we say the patient's name, and it's a lot of redundancy, but it's redundancy with the purpose. Um, So this is, everybody in the room is very clear why we're there, what we're doing, and we're doing a repeat, we're doing a C-section, a repeat or not repeat, or we're doing um, tubal sterilization, what that is, is taking out the tubes, so no future pregnancies if we're doing that. And we ask mom again, and mother says yes, and it's not really to annoy anybody to ask this baby. Yes, get this baby out of you know, do it again. Yeah, we, we we do ask yet again, and, and so that that way, at every point, the patient still has a, a, a way of saying no. I changed my mind. At any point, the patient can stop and say no. So we do all of these redundancies over and over, so that everybody's clear what we're doing, and also patient is still happy with what's being done too. So patient is still in control all the way through. Um, so we pr- proceed and we do the C-section. Um, and typically, I, I, I typically will work with a partner. So that person can be one of my partners in my group or sometimes can be a uh, um, like an assistant, a surgical assistant. Um, and uh, uh, I'm the primary and I'm doing the C-section with have baby out and uh the baby in our we the baby will go to the NICU or to the peds and NICU in our hospital attends every c-section so babies don't necessarily go to NICU um after c-section uh they're just attended to by the NICU doctors they do an evaluation of the baby in the hospital in the OR and then they say okay baby can go to regular nursery and that's what happens the majority of the times um 
and babies then um, stay with um, the regular nursery. Now, one thing that we do like to do is cut the cord a little bit long because unfortunately in a C-section, because of the drapes, the family member doesn't really get to cut the cord um, because everything needs to be sterile and the family member is not sterile. But when we cut the cord, long enough when when the baby goes with the peds the family member still in the or can cut the cord additionally and ha have that picture moment of cutting the cord so and some family members want it and some family members do not want to cut the cord and so each person is the you know their own decision we, we give them a choice we give them the option so it's there um and typically the baby will then go to the nursery and there's different things that the baby does need to have done that the baby should not wait in the OR with us to, to, to repair mother, to do mother's um, different layers of her abdomen. The baby does need to go ahead and go to the nursery and start getting warmed up and start getting cleansed and um, and. And, 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 and things. So what we do is have the um, family member go to the nursery with the baby so that the family member knows where the baby is. Now, during that time period, we take the next few 15 or you know so minutes to, to repair mother. So now we're sewing back up the uterus and we're also doing the repair. The family member goes with baby to uh, the nursery so that the family member can know where baby is. And then um, we finish uh, the next few minutes of um, repairing the different layers of the mother, um, the abdominal uh, the abdominal layers and mother does very well and then we clean mother uh and we place mother and in, in the bed that will go to recovery so now the family member knows where baby is in the nursery and the family member also knows where mother is in recovery so the family member is kind of the bridge between mother and baby so kind of keeps uh the pictures for mother and kind of knows and once mother is in recovery a mother's feeling you know awake and, and, and aware where she's been awake, but sometimes this whole process, you're so stressed and so tired. If you, she wants to rest, we let her rest. And if she decides, no, I'm awake enough, I want to go ahead and start having my baby, we bring the baby from nursery to mother and can, they, mother can do skin to skin um, if mother desires um, and can start breastfeeding right away if mother desires and um, stays with baby. Now, we always look at mother, in, mother goes to recovery first. And this is done so that we can look for anything, any risk at all. We don't like for mother to go straight to a room because we're looking for any risk um, post surgery. So we're looking for any bleeding. We're watching her signs. We're watching her vitals. We're watching um, her urine output. We're watching her for at least an hour or so just to kind of make sure that she's doing things meeting criteria, that she's feeling well. She's tolerating clear liquids. She's um, able to kind of take some sips of water, ice chips, and things are going down okay. She's not vomiting. She's feeling well. So if mother feels good during that time period and wants to start her bond with baby, it's totally fine. We're very happy with that. Now, if there's any complications that we notice at all, we address it. We address any high heart blood pressures or any finger stick issues or um, any dizziness, wooziness, any bleeding issues. Everything's addressed in recovery. Um, and if mother is stable and well, she's then able to go to her room. So her room is a nice, beautiful room where she'll stay for a while. She'll stay for a while during her hospital stay. During a C-section hospital stay, most insurances allow up to four days. And 
we we are happy for our patients to say however low they want. Some patients want to hightail it very fast. <laughs> uh, what is the first? I've had patients ask me, "What is the soonest I can leave?" And I said, "Okay, at least forty eight hours, so we can make sure that you're okay." And a lot of times, um, the peds, the the nurseries, they like to make sure baby's okay for at least forty eight hours, so they'll stay for at least that long. And I'll have some patients, "How late? How long can I stay?" Well, actually, you can stay four days easy. If there's anything going on, then you stay longer. You know, until we address all your issues. Um, each person is unique. Each person is um, different. Each situation is different. There, there are a few times though, most, most um, patients are able to go within the two to four days after a C-section. Um, so, so you talked about, so immediate risks, you know, we're checking for low blood pressure, uh, uh, high blood pressure, uh, bleeding, uh, no urine output, but what are some of the long-term risks of just having a C-section. And if you want to look at this from the maternal aspect to even the, um, you know, can you tell us about some of those, you know, long-term risks? You know, off the top of my head, I know there's the definite risk of scarring uh, from surgery. And internally, when there's uterine scarring, there can be abnormal attachment of the placenta in future pregnancies. So can you talk to us about some of the risks of, I mean, there's a risk of blood transfusion. There's a risk of just um, even uh, bladder and bowel injury at surgery that can lead to long-term risks. So can you please talk to us about some of the things that could happen, even though they may be rare from having a C-section? Yeah, they, 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 definitely can happen. And we've definitely um, encountered seeing if you do enough over the years, you'll see enough things <laughs> that yes, um, there's definite risk um, of having a C-section. Most of these risks usually occur when you've had multiple. That means you've got a lot of scar tissue or even multiple surgeries. Say that you've had um, a, a myomectomy. A myomectomy is where you remove um, fibroids, but kept your uterus. And now you desire to become pregnant and you are successfully pregnant. You, most people with a myomectomy, most of them will need to have a C-section. And the risk can be scarring on the placenta, scarring on the uterus. Um, it can also, and not just myomectomy, multiple, any type of multiple abdominal um, surgeries. The human body heals itself, but it heals itself by forming scar tissue. And scar tissue is very difficult because you cannot do an ultrasound to see it. And it doesn't show up on CT scan. And it doesn't show up on MRI. It doesn't truly show up on these usual images. So the way that we see scar tissue is when we make an incision and we see it. But then when we make an incision and we see it and we remove it, the human body is going to form new scar tissue from that incision that was already made. So it's a cycle. And most surgeons do not like to go into surgery to remove scar tissue because you're not really curing anything. You're just creating more scar tissue. But we need to, if it's a repeat C-section or, you know, to deliver the baby, you, you need to do the surgery. So those cases are what we call more difficult, definitely, um, higher risk, definitely, and risk of injury to your bowel. Again, these things, the uterus doesn't just stay by itself. 
they're all really close to each other. The bowel, the uterus, the um, the tubes and ovaries, actually, and then your bladder. Um, all of these things are just right in the same vicinity, very in the very close vicinity to each other. So yes, that bladder does help. Um, the Foley catheter helps to decompress the bladder, but it still doesn't take away the risk is if there's scar tissue and you're trying to take down the scar tissue, you can, you can definitely injure the bladder. And that does happen. And when that does happen, uh, if you can repair the bladder yourself, most of us OBGYNs are not that trained for that. So we will call in the urology. A urologist is a doctor that does do, do the bladder and they would repair that bladder. Most of the time, you would, patients would have to use a Foley catheter for several weeks several, several weeks to kind of decompress the bladder to allow it to heal uh, properly. Um, bowel, there's always risk of injury to the bowel. And uh, again, OBGYNs are not necessarily trained in repairing the bowel, um, but we are able to bring in um, the general surgeons who they are trained in repairing the bowel to do that. Um, and and in the same way, the urologists and the general surgeons call us in for you know anything going on with the tubes or ovaries when they're doing surgeries. So surgeons call upon each other for different needs during surgeries when, when it's necessary. Um, these risks are, are there. Now, having a prior C-section definitely increases your risk of scar tissue, but something pretty unique is the placenta, where the placenta attaches. And that actually is pretty important and pretty risky because if the placenta attaches too close to the cervix, which often it can do from scar tissue from a prior C-section, remember, most of the time we're making incisions in the lower uterine segment. The lower uterine segment is not too far away from the cervix itself. And so if the placenta attaches and attaches closer towards the cervix close to it, then that means it's a risk for a a vaginal delivery. It's it's a it's a what we call contraindicated minute. It's um it's called a placenta previa. And it depends upon how low lying, let's say that the magic number is 2.5 for some people, or let's say that the magic number is two for some people, how close it is to the cervix. If it's really close, like one centimeter away from the cervix, most people will say, let's not do a vaginal delivery for risk of bleeding. And we mean catastrophic bleeding, bleeding where it puts the mother and baby at risk. The placenta, if it's a previa, sometimes it can be a previa where it just totally covers the, the cervix. And that's an issue. That's an absolute no vaginal delivery. That's a definitely immediate need for a C-section. But the problem with that is that it may not just stop at the uterus because, again, the bladder is close and it can go from the uterus uh, to from the close to the cervix from the uterus and go past the uterus. So now it's getting outside of the uterus and then it can attach itself to the bladder. And that is catastrophic. We call that a percreta where it went all the way straight through. And if it attaches itself, that is a major, major um, risk factor for mother and baby. Typically, in that circumstance, we do not wait to 39 weeks at all because the risk of bleeding is tremendous. Depending upon how baby and mother are doing, at, at the longest, 
the longest we will wait to deliver is 37 weeks. And some have been delivered as early as 34, depending upon what's going on and how much bleeding the patient is having. And many, many will have what we call a cesarean hysterectomy. A cesarean means the same, that lower uterine incision, but now a hysterectomy means we're going to deliver the baby and the baby will go to nursery. Um, now, if the baby was preterm, meaning there's some reasons why we need to deliver at 34 weeks versus 37, um, the baby will go to NICU if, if necessary. And then we are not attaching, we're not sewing back up the uterus. We're actually removing the uterus because that placenta is plastered. That uterus is um, not, we're not able to remove that placenta anymore. And you and the woman will only bleed and bleed, unfortunately, immensely, where it could cost her her life if we do not attach the uterus. So if we're not able to attach the placenta, if we're not able to detach the placenta, which in a percreter we're not able to, then we have to remove that entire uterus because we cannot allow the mother to bleed to her death. And that is a major, major <laughs> risk. So the risk of having multiple C-sections is significant because it does increase the risk of previa. And then previa, you know, can be uh, accreta, can then be percreta, can then, you know, mean it can go through, go further through into surrounding organs, surrounding um, bladder and such. Now, in, in some hospitals that are bigger, they have a radiology department that we could do some temporizing things in which we send the patients to interventional radiology and they can close off some of the major arteries to the uterus to control the bleeding and the other collateral side vessels will supply blood supply to the uterus. Uh, so that uterine um, uh, interventional radiology, uterine artery embolization could yes. be an option yes. before a caesarean hysterectomy, especially in somebody who has, uh, in which this is their first pregnancy and they're looking to have more children. Yeah.